Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you, and I'm glad you're here. How many of you are disappointed that it did not snow? I am disappointed that it did not snow. It snowed in our house in uh, Davie County. When we left today, there was snow on my car, but 10 minutes later, it's all gone. So I guess winter is gone. But uh, yay, I hear. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's great. It's good to be in God's house with you today. Great music. Uh, Brother AJ's uh, hymn, uh, Amazing Love, How Can It Be? Charles Wesley wrote that sometime in the mid-1700s. It's a beautiful hymn, and it speaks powerfully of the gospel. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3. We're going to begin with verse 16 and look uh, through verse 21 as we continue through John. This is the last of four messages that are really, uh, as we said a few weeks ago, a series inside of a series that gives us a picture of what being born again is, and we get an intimate look of Jesus as he talks to us about our salvation. I don't want you to leave today and have a misunderstanding about what being born again is, what being a child of God is, what it takes to be forgiven. That's our purpose. Christ has laid that out for us carefully. As we go through the book of John over the next several months, certainly, I've looked for us to be in John probably through the rest of this year. We'll take some exceptions for a few things. But um, listen, you're you're going to get the full gamut of the scriptures in John. And you might say, boy, we've been hitting this born again thing for four weeks pretty hard. But next week we'll change tax entirely. And so it'll be uh, it'll be all over. It'll be all over the spectrum of the Bible. The things that we'll cover in the book of John. It's powerful. Uh, if, if you can't be here, and I, I'm not that great a preacher, but I tell you this is a great passage of scripture. Get these CDs and listen to them as we dig out the truth week to week. And uh, when I'm not here, then Jacob or AJ, whoever's preaching, will we'll pick right up on it. So we're not going to miss just because I'm not here. Um, I, before I read, I, I don't tell you a lot of jokes, but I've got something. Barry always tells me something funny, and uh, I got something this week I wanted to share with you. I thought, Barry, I was going to tell you, but I'll just tell everybody. A, a veterinarian and a taxidermist decided to go into business together. They put a unique sign outside their business, one way or another, you will get your dog back. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> one way or another. John chapter 3, verse 16 through 21. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The words of Jesus. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished By God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. With your spirit, speak clearly today to us. Show us your truth. Show us your love and what you've done for us here. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. I, I want you, and the title of our message is Eternity's Dividing Line. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to be confused or to have a lack of understanding or to walk away with some ambiguity. I want you to know what everything hangs on. And, and that's powerfully said in John's Gospel. Uh, we all are looking for priorities. And I think everybody is at every stage of their life saying, what's most important to me? What should I be focusing on? Uh, it might be an education when you're younger or in your middle ages, you gotta go to school. That's a good thing. I, I wouldn't quarrel with that. I think that's a good thing. Might be fin- financial security. Uh, you might need to save money or spend less or make more. I, I don't know, uh, that there's combinations of all that. Financial security is a good thing, but that's not the answer either. It, it might, it might be in a good family and a good family is getting close. And to have a good family, we want to nurture our family, we love our family, we invest in our family, we spend time with them, we do all kinds of things. But, but church, I want you to know that your family, regardless of how good they are, they're, they're not your eternal priority either. They are a priority. I love my children and I love my grandchildren, my wife. I, I love my family, but we cannot say that our family is Everything to us might be a good career. A lot of folks spend a lot of time in their career. They work hard. They prepare for it. They put a lot of hours into it. They invest in it. But I'll tell you, it's not the most important thing. And uh, you got to know that. And I and and I've said these things in the pulpit before. Uh, we um, we tend to get so busy. We tend to be so surrounded by everything. That we miss eternity's dividing line. What eternity says is what the what the Bible says to us is most important. Uh, AJ and I meet every week with with a young man in our church. He, he's a great young fellow and great heart for the Lord. And and we sit down and talk the Bible or talk other things. We talk about a lot of things. This week he 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 made this illustration for me perfectly. He said he works at, at Reynolds, and he said that when he went to work at Reynolds, he was trained and oriented in his company how to, how to do things and was told how to act and come to work and all of those things. And then they trained him on the particular piece of equipment that he would be on. And when he finished his training process, he had to take a test. And he said, he said that if he passed the test, he started to shift. And if he didn't pass the test, they, they walked him to the car. He's done. You see, it didn't matter what else he learned in the orientation class about, I don't know if they taught anything about the history of the company or didn't, I guess it wouldn't matter if he could recite to you all the board of directors or the president and all the people. It didn't matter if he knew everything about what the business did, but if he failed the test, he was finished. That's it. That's where we are today. Jesus said, if you fail the test, if you miss this, you've missed it all. I, I don't think that we modern people grasp this the way we should. And and I, I guess I have an advantage because when I dive into these scriptures and I spend a whole week there and I look at all the related scriptures and I look at what all the people say about it and, and, and you go into all you're you're impressed with all of these things and you say, This is the most important thing that there is. And I'll tell you. 30 seconds after we die, we'll all know what we should have focused our life on. 30 seconds. That's all it's going to take. 
We're going to live our whole lives and we're going to do the things that we want to do. But 30 seconds after we die, we're going to know what we should have done. Jesus says it all comes down to the fact that we have to believe. We have to believe that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God, the one and only Son of God. we got to believe to the point that we commit our life, that we change our, that our life is changed by Him, that we walk in a new direction, that we're new people. Listen, the, the repetition in this passage is stunning. Jesus talks about this message of salvation. Believe in, in verses 15 through 21 four times. Says you gotta believe. Um, in verse 15, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. In verse 16, for, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. In verse 18, anyone, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he's not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. You see, believed is it. That's, that's the dividing line of history. And Jesus has made a plan for us that's available to everybody. It's a universal plan. He, he emphasizes that world, anyone. He tells us that. So today I want you to know that believe is the dividing line. You gotta believe. You believe or you don't believe. You, you trust Him and have given your life to Him or you don't. And once you do that, Jesus shows us what believe looks like in our practical life. Let's, let's pay close attention. Look at this because, because we will be tested. We will be tested. Number one, believers possess eternal life with Christ and non-believers will perish. Jesus tells us that in this greatest of evangelical verses in the Bible. The greatest, the, the, you know, we preached on it. We took it apart last week. I can't say it any more simple. I, I, had, I had another message that I left that I just cut out from last week that I didn't even, there's so much in that, in that passage of scripture. But, but it all starts here for God so loved the world. He loved the world so significantly, so powerfully, so, so completely. And, and we could say a whole day, we could talk about God's love. I'm, I'm not going to rehash that to you. I, I want you to know, I, I want you to know how much God loves you. I, I want you to know that God has provided for you, that He gave His only Son, that it was, that it was a unique sacrifice once and for all, that He gave Him up the way that you and I would give up a son or a daughter. It was as personal, as powerful to him as it would be to us. And he did that for the world to have salvation through his son. That's why he did it. He, he didn't do it because we are particularly lovable, because we earned it, because we have a right to it, because we're entitled to it. He did it because he loved us. I want you to know that above everything in verse 16, that God loves us. He loves us. If you walk out of here today and you don't have anything about what I said, I want you to know how much God loves you. I want you to know that God has not only loved you, he has pursued you. He has gone after you. That he that He has laid out a plan through the death And the sacrifice of his son that you and I might be made right, justified with him. That we might be 
that we might be able to approach him and talk to him and have fellowship with him. God's done that because he loves us. Isn't that a great thing? I mean, that's worth coming on a chilly Sunday morning to hear how much God loves you. Because there are people that need to know that. That, that they need to know how, how powerfully God, of all, of, of everything that we can say about God, God loves us. God is holy and, and he is holy. God is righteous. He is holy and righteous. But God loves you. He's pursued you. He's gone after you. He's, he gave his son out of love for you. That's, that's a great statement. And I think we've got to understand how much that that salvation costs God. Okay, so so we got that. God loves you. That's the basis for this. And then Jesus goes on in, in verse 17. And I want to go to my second point. Believers aren't condemned, but unbelievers are condemned right now. That's the language that he uses. Listen to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God's intention for us, this is not a message of destruction. And a lot of us preachers get it wrong. A lot of us rail on the destruction part. And, and there's certainly that mentioned here. There's, there's certainly that consequence for non-belief. But the purpose, God sent Christ into the world to save us. That's why he came. He came for that reason only. God didn't need us. He didn't need all of this. He loved us. That's the only way. That he can make us right. So God loved us. He, that is his purpose for doing that. He desires that everyone be saved. We read in 1st Timothy last week. I'm going to read it to you again. And, and Paul writes in 1st Timothy chapter 2 verse 3. He said, this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved. He wants, he desires all of us to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I was reading that this week. It's like God stood up and said, Jim, I want everybody to be saved. Do you want everybody to be saved? Do do I want things the way you want things? Or do you want things the way I want things? Or have I, have I, do I not, and, and, and you know, that, that's a, that's, that's something we gotta recognize in church. Sometimes we get comfortable with church right here and our people and the people we know. But I want you to know that God wants everybody to be saved. This church is a vehicle for everybody to be saved. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. That is our purpose. That is why God has resourced us. He has equipped us. He has filled us up with the Holy Spirit. He has allowed us to go out into the world because He desires that everybody be saved. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. The test is already written. We know the right answers and the wrong answers. And you either believe or you don't believe. But he desires that everybody believe. That's our job. That's our purpose. That's why we exist. Over in Second Peter, uh, the, Peter writes, as, as he wrote to the Christian church about to go through persecution, he says, the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient, not wanting any to perish. He doesn't want any. Do you notice the words saved and perish? John uses saved again. Peter uses perish. We're introduced to the language of the New Testament. Some people say, well, you know, I just don't like that word born again. Well, well, Jesus used it. That's his word. I didn't invent it. Some preacher didn't invent it generations ago. It's his word. Some people say being saved or being lost. Those come right out of the Bible. That's exactly the language of the Bible. I want you to understand how important that is. I want to tell you, God wants us to be saved, but he, res- he respects our decision. 
and their people. There are people that live their whole life and resist the gospel. They, they listen and they hear and they wait and they put off. And God respects them. He lets them do that. He loves them. And, and parents, I can only describe it in the way that you would take care of your children. If your children wander off and, and become wayward and at some point in their life, you, you say, well, I, I can't make them do it. I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to love them and I'm going to, I'm going to conjole them, but I'm going to respect their decision to destroy their life. And God will do the same thing. So don't, don't misinterpret his timing. Don't misinterpret the, t- the opportunity that you and I have. Don't, don't misinterpret and, and you know, and given in the, in the, and, and I know, I know our students, we have a lot of our students gone today, but, but the, you three get it all. Y'all get the whole thing. <laughs> don't think, you, you say, well, you know, this stuff keeps happening and I guess I just got forever to make these decisions. And, and you're going to wake up one day and you're going to be 62 years old like I am, or you're going to wake up one day and you're going to be 82 years old like some of you. And you're going to say, where is it all gone? God gives us time. He's patient. But there will be an accounting. Verse 18, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This isn't harsh. Jesus said it. These are his words right out of the Bible. He said that if you don't believe, there is a point of Judgment down the road, but you are on the track to that judgment. You're already condemned. You're already lost. You're already separated. There's opportunity. There's time. There's grace. There's availability. But you're already lost. That's all it means. That, that church, that's why your choice is so important. And, and I know, listen, I know what it's like to wait for years on God. And for God to call and to push and to conjole and, and to put him off and to wait. I know what that's like. And whether, whether it's your initial call to come to faith in him or you're called to follow him and do what he's called you to do to be obedient to his work. I, I will tell you, God will wait. He'll, he'll just, he'll just stand there. But he respects your decision. He let, he lets you do this. But, but you gotta understand. That your decision, what you do is very, very important. How, how you respond to God, the way that you, let me tell you, the devil doesn't want you to just respond. He wants you to wait. And I, I'm convinced that, that in my life, he, he would put all these opportunities to say, so you can wait till next week, you can wait till next month, you can wait till you finish this, you can wait till you start this, you can wait, you can wait from now on. But the Bible says, if you don't believe, you're already condemned. You're lost. Your heartbeat from perishing. That's how vital it is. We can't, we can't sit and wait on some decision in the future. In the eyes of Jesus, no decision now is a decision. No. So, so we have to listen to that. Number two. Number three, believers live in the light and non-believers live in the darkness. Now, now John shows us that there is a difference. I, I want you to understand that belief impacts our life. Belief changes the way that we live. Let me tie my shoe before I fall. 
when you get older, I don't tie my shoes as well. I don't know what that's about. That's an old, that's another day. <laughs> Belief impacts the way we live. You know, a lot of us in Southern Baptist life, we, we kind of look at belief as based on a altar call and a decision. And, and you make a decision. And I'm, I'm all for an altar call. We give an altar call every week. And we, we invite you to come to the altar. And when we invite you to come to the altar, we in, come and invite you to make decisions that God's leading you to. We're, we don't want you to dream something up or to come here out of obligation or because your parents make you or because you feel like your spouse has made you or because you have something. You, you do it because God's leading you. But, but I urge you that if God's working with you, that, that you come and make that decision. And you may come and make a decision in our office. You may come down and talk to us. You may do it, but one of you. See, you don't have to, you don't have to be led to a decision by Christ, by a pastor. You, you are perfectly qualified to lead people to Christ. But my point is, is that altar call, that decision is not the sum of your Christian life. You know, a lot of people could say, how do you know that you're a Christian? And and they will say, well, I came down when I was 10 years old and accepted Jesus. That's not enough. See, Jesus says that when, you're, when, you're, when you have real faith, when you have belief, and he characterizes belief. He says up in verse 5, he says, unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is, unless you're born of repentance and you have the Spirit of God that enters into your life, then, then you're not really born into the kingdom of God. You just think you are. You just... That just happened. So if the sum of your Christian life is that you walked down an aisle some years ago or last week or whenever, and that's all that God's done in your life, that's, that's probably not enough. Now that's not my decision. That's you and God. But Jesus tells us in this passage that when we follow Him, we're filled up by His Spirit and we live in the light. We live in light. Non-believers live in darkness. We're going to talk about that. John wants us. He says, he gives us this, uh, this, this dividing line. Therefore, this then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. When Jesus came into the world, he illuminated the world. He lit it up. And let everybody see what light and darkness is. God came and brought light into the world with, with the word, with, with the law. Centuries before. But when Jesus came, he brought light day to day life. Everybody began to understand what it looked like to follow Jesus. Jesus said, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. That's what God is. He and God are exactly the same. You want to see God? Look at Jesus. That's the way he told us. So we get a picture of what light is. He taught us how to live. He taught us how to love each other. He taught us how to forgive. He taught us how to be disciples. He taught us how to follow him. He taught us and said that if you love me, you will be obedient to what I say. Therefore, you will walk in the light. That's what he says. We live in the light. But people, the world, lives in the darkness. Clearly... Clearly, there's a difference. Light on one hand, darkness in the other. You can see people in the light. You can see people in the darkness. They, they clearly are different. And, and Jesus said people actually love the light. They love the dark. They love the dark because their e- deeds are evil. They don't necessarily 
like being in the dark. I never liked being in the dark a lot. When I was a little kid, I was terrified of it. Now, as I get older, it's not so bad. But we don't inherently like darkness. But people that live in the dark like it. They love it because you can't see their deeds. They can do their deeds and nobody sees them. And that's the way living in the darkness is described by Jesus. Because when you live in the light, you see, you know your deeds. You know what's right and wrong. And God won't let you do certain things. But living in the dark, you just do. You, non-believers are just naturally drawn to the dark. They, they prefer it over the light. They prefer earthly things over spiritual things. They're actually repelled sometimes by spiritual things. They don't want to be about the things of church. They don't want, don't want to learn about the things of God. It's not important to them. When I began following Christ carefully and when Christ, I think, really filled up my life, the, the thing that he put in my life was a desire to learn about him. He planted in me a desire. That wasn't something that I did. It wasn't a discipline. Now, I have to discipline myself to pray and to read the Bible just like you do. But when God got a hold of me, he put in me a desire to follow him. That's living in the light. That's showing us how God works in our life. Our old nature is to live in the darkness. Dr. Boyce, who's a New Testament scholar, he, he illustrates this pretty well. He says, it's an image of a father and a child throwing a ball. You know, if you take a little, a little toddler throwing the ball with their father, they, they, the, no matter how close the child throws, he just can't seem to get the ball to his father. I mean, it, the aim's off. See, see, the distance isn't the problem. The problem is the child's aim. He just, he just can't aim properly. And that's, that's what it's like when we're non-believers. We just, we just can't aim right. We just can't follow God on our own. We just can't do the things of the light. That's our old nature. And then Jesus says in verse 21, For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. That's, that's exactly what goes on. We hate the light. Everyone. Notice that word everyone again. That's, that's the way lost non-believers are. If you, if you live in the darkness... If, if you're, you're a non-believer, you live in the darkness. You hate the things of the light. If you live in the light, you hate the things of darkness. You don't, you don't want to be around darkness. You live in the light. You want to be illuminated. And so people who are not a believers, they avoid the light. It makes them uncomfortable, guilty, restless. I want to tell you, the devil doesn't want you to. To, to be lightened. He, he doesn't want you to hear that. And, and, and what's so important is that when you hear the Word of God and when you're around the Word of God and, and you are confronted with, with, your, with, with non-belief, then you, you have to respond. You, you have to act on it. So his deeds may not be exposed. The light of Christ exposes our life to sin. You know, I, I find that in my own life, that's, that's the way that God keeps me from sin. I, I still struggle. I guess you do. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans 7 that he struggled. All of his life he struggled with sin. He said he did the things that he didn't want to do. He did things that he, he didn't like doing. That he, that he didn't like what he did because we have this old nature. We struggle with it. But, but that God, that God is, is, is illuminating our darkness and making us respond to it. To follow him, to do the things. If anyone who lives by the truth 
comes to light, Jesus says, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So people that live in the light, they have works that show for the light. They have, they have accomplishments that God has done in their life. They have, they have progress that God has made. You can look back and say, well, you know, I'm not a perfect Christian, but I'm a whole lot further down the road than I used to be. I'm able to resist this temptation now, and I couldn't do that. I still struggle with this one over here, but I, this, this old, there, there are several things that I've just put aside. And, and that we're able to live in the light when we come to the truth. And that's important that we understand this Bible is our truth. We, Every one of us believers, this has to be our guide. This has to be. I like to read other commentators. I like to read other Bible people. I like to read history. I like to read other things. But I have to read this book. I have to be in this book. It has to be my guide. When I preach to you or I teach to you, I don't tell you my opinions. They're not worth hearing. But this book is truth. It's God's word. Every absolute word of it. And it is God's truth. And you can illuminate your life. You can say, well, Jim, I don't, I don't exactly agree with what you're saying. Then read this book. I'm not going to try to convince you. I don't have to prove this book. I don't have to, to, to explain this. I just have to say what it is. That's the way God works. That's his truth. And so when people live in the light, when we're believers, we live in the light and we live in a different way. We raise our families in the light. We do our business in the church in the light. Oh, yes, the church is different when people walk in the light. And I'm struck by the fact that churches, when they go through great trouble and turmoil and problems, that a lot of times it's caused by people in the church that aren't in the light. And they're, they're living God's church out in the darkness. Working in God's church in the dark. But when we do, when we're in the light, we go to work in the light. We, we treat each other in the light. I, you know, there, there's not a better testimony than a Christian who goes to work and shows people how Christ would treat others in the workplace. How, how you're honest and you have integrity and how you love people that mistreat you and how you forgive people and how, and how you just keep on being a good person even when there's no reason to be a good person. I'll tell you, the world sees that. Dr. Johnny Hunt, one of my favorite preachers, said he was traveling with a young guy this week and, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to one of his sermons and he said, he said he was traveling with this young preacher, young black fellow who's a preacher and he said, this guy is a really good preacher and he said he was about four rows behind me in the airplane. And he said he has a kind of a big voice. He's a young guy. He has a big voice. And Johnny said, I was sitting there trying to read and do some studying for some preaching. And he said, I heard this young fella behind me talking about Jesus. And he said to him, he says, is there anything that I could pray for you about? And he said, he was about four rows behind me. And he said, I could hear him all the way to my seat. And he said, the people up in front of me were turning around and looking. So he said, about half the airplane could hear this guy. And he said he could hear the guy say something to him. He said, well, I'll pray for you for that. And he said, the first thing he knows that the guy from across the aisle leaned over to him. He said, would you pray for me about this? And he said, the guy turned around from the seat in front of him and said, I would appreciate a prayer. And the flight attendant came down there and said, you could pray for me. And he said he was praying for about eight people in the back of that airplane, all because he was willing to share his faith and be in the light while he was doing God's work. Don't you know that those people now... I've fl- I used to, I haven't flown a long time, but I used to fly a lot, and I, 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 I would sometimes uh, share my faith. I have a couple of times on airplanes, on long flights, uh, 
I, I always kind of operate on the idea people don't want to be bothered and I don't want to mess with them. But if they, and I don't really want people messing with me either when I flew. <laughs> so, <laughs> be honest with you. There are some very unusual people that you could sit beside. <laughs> but I had some good opportunities, a couple of really good opportunities to share my faith. I, listen, take Christ wherever you go. Take him wherever you go. Be the light in the world. You, you might be the light. Jesus said, Jesus, so late, later in the, in the gospel of John, he is the light of the world. When he walks into the room, the room lights up. Every Christmas we have a candlelight service and, and we show that the, that we darken the whole sanctuary and we light one candle and you see one little candle and it goes around the room and the first thing you know, you could, you could read a hymnal by it because the light of all of us is lit up the world. That's a powerful message of how Christ works. Understand your your ability to light the world. But I want you to see the close connection between doing and being. By, between saying you believe and how that translates into being light. When you say that you're a believer, you're a follower of Christ, then, then that's evident to the world around you. People recognize you. You may not be out preaching on every street corner, but you are showing people Christ-like manners in everything that you do, in the way you treat people, in the way that you conduct your business, in the way that you are honest and have integrity, in the way that you love people, in the way that you that you naturally are drawn to the people that the world rejects. You're, you're living Christ out in your life. Okay. That's all I want to say. Got a conclusion, though. I want to ask you. Is there anybody here that dreads the idea of meeting God. Do, do you dread it? You know, uh, I, I, as a as a pastor, we we do a lot. Of, we do funerals, and and we we did we did funerals this week. And and every time I do a funeral, at some point when I do a funeral, I say, Lord, you know, it it's a great thing that you call your believers home. And and I I can almost celebrate that. That one day God will call me home. Now I love my life and I love my family and I love what I do and I, I love this every day of opportunity, but, but I'm, I'm ready when God wants to take me home. I'm fine with that. I have peace about that. Do you have peace about it? David, David said in the Psalms that, that at one point in his life that when he remembered God, he was troubled. Are you troubled when you think about God? And, and we see that here, the love of God's been made real and practical and down to earth. It's, it's, it's been made where it impacts our life, where, where we can either believe him or, or not believe him. And, and Jesus makes this all important call to us. He says, for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his own that everyone who there's everyone means everyone. I, I want you to know everyone means everyone. There is no exclusion clause. To this, there's nobody that's disqualified. There's nobody that has done too much, that has gone too far, that has failed too much. There's not any exclusion to that. There's no more all-embracing word in the Bible. Everyone, he means it. And and then if you miss that, he backed it up with the world. So Christ came to the world for all of us, everybody, everybody, but also. There's another everyone. Over in Revelation chapter 20 verse 15 it says, and anyone, same basic word, and anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown to the lake of fire. That's perishing. That's what biblical 
perishing is. And you see, it all comes down to this, that if we believe, we will have eternal life with Christ. If we don't believe, we will perish. That's what Jesus leaves us with every single time we get into this passage. So what about belief? What does that mean? We've talked about it. But you know, if you go over to chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus, Jesus had, listen, this is a troubling statement. While he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many trusted in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. You see, a lot of those folks wanted Jesus for what he could do for them. He, he could make them better. He could make them rich. He could, he could get this or that done for them. But Jesus was looking for somebody to follow him. So looking for somebody to say, listen, uh, whatever it takes, I'm in. You, you follow me and I'll do, I'll do what you call me to do. Here's, here's the promise that he says. Like, like the old evangelist prayer. Jesus, I'll trust you. I'll trust you with my soul. Weary, worn, helpless. You can only make me whole. There's none in heaven or on earth like you. You died for sinners and died for me. If that's your prayer and your commitment, you enter from death to life. That's the commitment that Christ calls us to. That's what believe means. So in this passage, we've seen these things. Everyone who believes in me will not have, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. Anyone who does not believe is condemned already. You see, believe is the difference for us today. There are only two classes of people. We divide people in all kinds of things. But as far as Jesus is concerned, there are only believers and non-believers. That's all that matters. That is it. If you have believed today and given your life to Christ, you know where you stand. You can walk out of here with eternal assurance. And and you can be encouraged and you can be uplifted. And you can face trial and adversity because you know where you stand. There's nothing that can take that away from you. Jesus said no one, no force, nothing will take, will tear those people away from him. That is an eternal promise by God. You know where you stand. But I will tell you also that if you don't believe on the authority of the word of God, you know where you stand too. There's no preacher that can talk you out of it. There's nothing that can change what Jesus said. I want you to know the gravity of this choice. And there's one more thing. And there's so many folks here that are believers that I, that I just, that you gotta hear this. I, I found this quote this week. I don't know who said this, but I really like it. And I wrote it down in my car, so I might have missed something, but it said, we won't make it into the future. We have to get others to carry the gospel for us when we're gone. You see, that's what's really important, church, is that we have to realize that this gospel is the word of life for the world. And, Our responsibility, our task as we go forward. If we're believers, our task is to help others understand it. And in order to carry, to get other people to carry the gospel for us when we're gone, we've got to share it. And I want to urge you, church, I want to urge you, I want to urge you to invite people to come with you to church. I want to urge you to invite people to come to Sunday school with you, to come to Wednesday night Bible study. I want, I want you to look at opportunities that you can find. To bring the gospel to people that don't have it. It's the most important thing that you can do. Believe or not believe. That's the dividing line. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you make it clear for us. 
And we thank you also that you've loved us so much to take us just like we are, without any conditions. God, I pray that there's one here today that you'll work in their life. But I pray that in all of those who state that they're believers, I pray that you'll move powerfully in us as well to, to share and to love and to be a light in the world as you've called us to be. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you do. We thank you for Christ who died for us. And so, so work powerfully in this time. In Jesus' name we pray.